Morning, Fellowship High Crest. Well, we can do better than that. Y'all saw that USC game last night. Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. Good morning. Oh, man. I tell you what, it has been a while since, since we got a quality win. And so um, it was good last night to see that and to be um, able to watch a part of that game. And so uh, this past week, we got a chance to launch uh, Rooted. Uh, and so it was a great night. It was a great night seeing so many people take their next steps. And so we're looking forward to going into week two of that and, and just just continue to see what God does through those groups. Uh, if this is your first time being our guest here, uh, we want to let you know that First of all, there are Bibles in your seat, and if you don't have a Bible, then you can take that Bible as our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible that's easy to read, then you can take uh, that Bible as our gift to you. Um, If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible or have one that's easy to read, then please take that one and give it to them as a gift from both of us. You'll also find in your seats this morning, you'll find a prayer guide. On one side is is a a daily prayer guide of things that you can pray for for our church. And on the other side is a a day-by-day, throughout-the-month prayer guide that you can pray for for your pastor. Um, We we believe that there is power in prayer, and so we want to give you some things and some tools to help you have some specific things to pray for um, on a daily basis for both the church and, and for your pastor. And so we want you to take those. Last week, we, we started our current sermon series, and it's all about how to parent for the glory of God. But we mentioned how this series was relevant for everyone because the church overall has a responsibility. Like when it talks about us, the house, it's including more than just um, the biological parents, but it's including um, also the church body, the church family as a part of that family that has responsibility for children. Now, I often hear this, right? And I've heard this all throughout the time I was growing up. I've heard it while I was an adult. I've heard this thing over and over again. And the saying is, man, it's harder to parent kids than it used to be. And um, I would disagree with that. I would say that parenting in every generation has been difficult. Can you imagine yourself? Think about being a parent of a child in Germany during the Holocaust. Think about being a parent during the Blue Blank Plague. Think about being a parent of a minority child during the Jim Crow era. I don't know if some of you know that that there's a thing called a green book that used to exist. A green book was a book that parents during the Jim Crow era had where it, it told them about places that were safe for them to stop and use the restroom or eat or different things of that nature throughout the South. Imagine having to explain to your kid on a road trip who has to use the restroom that we can't stop here, baby, because this is not one of the places listed in the green book. Think about being a parent of a child who arrived with the pilgrims. I could go on and on, but each and every generation has had its challenges. Parenting has always been hard, but the mission remained unchanged. The mission of parents has always been the same. The mission of parenting is to bring glory to God. 
not by modifying their kids' behavior, but by discipling their kids through a head, hands, and heart method. Remember last week we said that nagging will ruin any relationship. And so that means that it's so important that the way we parent, the way we raise up kids is in a head, hands, and heart method. And so I know last week we discussed the importance of a God-centered home, but, but we must realize that having the elements of a God-centered home is not the ends, but the means to the end. The same goes with the church. Here at Fellowship Highcrest, our model of discipleship is, is centered around small groups, but small groups are not our goal. Small groups are not our end. Small groups um, are, are what we use to make disciples that make disciples. They're our vehicle, but they're not our end. The God-centered home in the same way is a vehicle or a tool by which parents can use the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God to produce godly adults who glorify God in their lives by following God and teaching others to do the same. Hear what I just said. Your goal is not to just get your kids to follow God, but to get your kids to follow God and to teach others others to do the same. If it stops with your child, you fail. Because the mandate that was given was to go make disciples and you haven't made a disciple until your disciple makes a disciple. So you as a parent discipling your kid should be looking two or three generations down. Is what you're doing with your kid today going to help make disciples two or three generations down the line? That's something that we should be thinking about. In Scripture, we see that every generation had responsibility for the next generation. What are you pouring into the hearts of your kids? Where they're set up and on the path to make disciples in the next generation. Sounds easy enough, right? But have you ever saw something that, uh, that looked easier than it really was? For instance, check this out. This is, a, this is a short video. Check this out. Hi, I'm Jill Cooper from livingonadime.com. One of the biggest challenges you're going to face in your life is how to fold a fitted sheet. So today I'm going to try to show you how to do that. First of all, why bother to fold your sheets? Let me show you. A lot of us are short on storage in our closets. And so by folding it, you can double your storage space instantly. I have an example here. Here's unfolded, here's folded. The amount of time it takes to fold this sheet, you'd spend the exact same amount of time digging through your linen closet trying to find the right sheet when they're all wadded up and unfolded in there. To begin with, you hold the sheet lengthwise by both corners with the right side towards your body. Place corner number one, fold it over corner number two. Slide down this edge, pick up corner three, tuck it in. Slide down this edge, pick up corner four, tuck it in. Turn to this side, straighten these two edges, walk it to the table, fold and fluff this end, fold it in thirds, fold it in thirds again. If you have a king 
or a queen size, you might want to fold it in fours, and you're finished. Folding the fitted sheet, right? It's the simple stuff. I took some graduate level math courses while I was in school. Thermodynamics, equilibrium thermodynamics. I mean, this is something that young and old should be able to do. I have a master's degree. You know, it's my, I tell you what, my kids are cute. And my youngest is named Toby. And then we have this game we play because they sing this song uh, about a school bus. So every school bus they see, uh, they say, that, that, school bus. Right? And when they see it, they stop and they say, um, they'll drop your hand. They're like, the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. Why is it that I have two degrees and when I get ready to fold a fitted sheet, it looks like I've just been playing the wheels on the bus go round and round. <laughs> I mean, I didn't watch that video. I didn't save it on Facebook. I didn't watch that video so many times. And my sheet never comes out folded like that. I mean, I, I, I can smoke a brisket for 13 hours and get all the, the smoke ring and everything I want with it. And I cannot fold a fitted sheet. I mean, I don't know what's wrong, folks. I mean, it's some things in life that it, 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 it seems easy. But then when you get ready to do it, it's a whole different story, right? I know some of you in this room might have felt like that. You, you might feel like um, when it comes to folding fitted sheets that there is no hope. And, and, and what I want parents to know that when it comes to what God has called them to in discipling their kids, that there is hope. And here's why. We have God's word and promises like 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 through 17 will state this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That means that along with the Holy Spirit, parents have everything needed to be successful in the mission to which God has called them. But that still leaves the question of how. See, we have to have a plan. We have to have a plan. And God's word has given us more insight into what this plan is in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians in verse four. We'll spend the rest of our time this morning looking at what that plan is. And then we'll we'll look at this because the book of Ephesians is, is probably one of the first and foremost books in the Bible that we have about what the church is and how it's supposed to function. One of the topics that it speaks to in the process is that of discipling our kids. So if you're not already there, you can turn to that page. It's page 706 in those blue Bibles. And here's what, here's what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is God's word. All right. So it's thought that probably eight of our New Testament books were sent 
to the church at Ephesus first. We probably know more about the church in Ephesus than any New Testament church there is. So this church community is pretty important because one, eight of the New Testament books were sent there first, and then we know more about this church than any other church that we have in the New Testament. One of the things that we know is just like us, they needed help building a plan for how they fulfill the mission of parenting their kids. So let's break down briefly uh, this, this passage that Paul gives us in this one single verse this morning. And the first one is this, God-given roles. Paul starts off with a single word, fathers. By addressing the father, he is addressing both men and the entire house. Why would I say that? Well, Jesus Christ is the head of the church and stood as representatives of the church on the cross. So do men in the house. One of the things that, that if you're going through the rooted thing right now and you're in chapter two and you're going to get through it, I mean, you're in week two and you're doing your homework every day, you're 15 minutes a day, booyah. All right. You're in the beginning of Jesus, which is uh, beginning of Genesis, which is foundational. One of the things is you need to understand as you go through Genesis, you see where uh, those who were given the birthright was given a double portion of the family of the inheritance because they were supposed to take care of the family. They were given additional responsibilities, but in order to carry out those responsibilities, God gave them extra resources. They were the judge when disputes came up. They were the ones that were supposed to ride out when somebody came and, and snatched up one of their kin people. That's why you see Abraham get his boys and go get Lot. They were the ones that were supposed to take care of things. They were the ones that stood as a representative. In the same way that Jesus died and his, his death, his sacrificial death, was for all the church, in the same way the men, the husband, the head of the household is supposed to be the representative for the whole household. Because of the sacrificial death of Jesus, we all have the ability to have a relationship with God. So he stood as a representative, but there were some things that Jesus is called to that we are not. In the same way for the man in the household. Christ, being the representative church, had those responsibilities. The purpose of the authority given to fathers in the lives of their children is not to hold it over them, but to empower them to be self-controlled people living freely under the authority of God. So we, we go back to this. Is, is as we're parenting, as we're discipling our kids, we want to teach them how to live happily within the boundaries that God has set. Ladies, because you're not specifically mentioned here, don't think that Paul or God thinks less of you. You also have an important God-given role in this process. Um, Proverbs 1.8 says this. It says, my child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. In case... Um, in cases where uh, there's a single parent, the church as a family should be sensitive to them. We should pray for them and their children. So I want you to do me a favor. Right now, I want you to think of a single mother that you know, and I want you to write her name down on your program that you have, or you can put it in your notes on your app. And I want you to commit to praying for her once a week. Now, we should also look to help single parents by mentoring their children and by encouraging them and their children on a regular basis. Let me be clear here. We should pray for all parents, no matter what their relationship status is. And, and we should also recognize the, 
the challenges of moms and dads who are answering God's call without a spouse. This week I was in um, Tulsa and we were looking at some things for our nonprofit and we were meeting with the guy who leads the nonprofit for um, some of my friends there in Tulsa and they're doing some great work. And he said, hey, um, you know, me and my wife moved into the neighborhood. This guy has an MBA from Harvard in, in urban development and he moved into the neighborhood and um, he was there and he was like, yeah, we noticed that the kid next door um, was a kid of a single parent, kept getting in trouble in school. And so me and my wife decided to start homeschooling. That's when the church starts being the church. Because we said, hey, hey, the, the, the local school, out of the whole, the whole school district, the whole school district only produced 22 college-ready African-American males out of the whole daggum school system in Tulsa. You tell me how that's not injustice. And so they said, we got to do something different. We're not going to let him slip through the cracks. And so that was, man, that's the church being the church. So how do parents take their God-given authority and exercise it in a godly way? By knowing the difference between leading and agitating. By knowing the difference between leading and agitating. You know, there's a difference between nurturing the cub and poking the bear. There is a difference between nurturing the cub and poking the bear. Our friend Steve Irvin told us that difference. There's a difference between leading an epic adventure and doing something stupid. God has given parents authority and the gift of children in order to lead an epic adventure. But when we use that authority in a high-handed way, we are acting really ignorant. After establishing the importance of roles in the family, Paul's instruction in building a plan to glorify God through, through parenting is to lead in a way where you're not continually moving your kids toward a town called anger. Now, now, this is not to say that a parent is never to oppose or deny or cross or upset the child. And why would I say that? First Samuel um, 3 and 13 shows us where this lands us. It says this. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. What you see is there was a there was a great judge that that exists, a prophet that exists at that time. And what happened is his sons were heathens. And he knew all the wrong that they were doing and he looked the other way. And because he let the behavior of his kids go unchecked, God punished the entire nation. So hear what Paul is saying, not what he's not saying. He's not saying you should never cross them or deny them or anything else. But he's saying also you shouldn't just be continuously agitating them to anger. Paul is instructing parents against behaving in a repeated and ongoing way that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over into outward hostility. Now, this can take on different um, shows in the behavior of a kid. It can be rebellion against um, any authority, stubbornness. Passive resentment, apathy, indifference, half-hearted performance, and or silence. Paul calls a, a Christian father um, to, to be gentle, patient educators of their chil- children 
whose chief weapon is Christian instruction focused on loyalty to Christ as their Lord. That's the call. So this is contrary to popular culture, right? Fathers and, and parents in general can parent in this cross-cultural way through these eight ways I'm about to show you here. These eight ways. The first one is making sure there's no, there's no tension between the parents. The healthiest thing that you can do for your kid is to have a healthy marriage. That's why if you're not getting your date night, you need to get that in. I, I tell you, um, this is not me just saying this. But outside of Jesus Christ, Trisha is my greatest blessing. I, I, I can't imagine now doing what I do without Trisha on my team. Boy, if you got you one, if you got you a wife, you, whew. I read somewhere recently saying if you're not satisfied with your wife, it is your problem, not hers. You delight in your wife. You pour into it. Um, making sure that your marriage is happy. Um, making sure that you're working things out uh, biblically in your marriage. Number two, controlling your anger and avoiding abusive words, tones, and abusive correction. Number three, building um, involvement with and giving attention to the child. That's important. Building godly relationships. You have to be involved. It takes time. Number four, building up um, the child and avoiding being overly critical. Right? Don't let every word your your child hears from you be a criticism. Number five, being a good listener and communicator. Don't answer a matter before you hear them out. Are you listening to them when they bring a matter to you? you? Are you taking time to really not just hear them but to listen to them and what they're saying? Number six, understand that not every thought or action is sin or a major issue in life. Don't panic over every little single thing that happens. Don't be the helicopter parent. Your children's workers don't like that. Your school teachers don't like that. Nobody likes that. Don't be the helicopter parent. Number seven, helping the child understand the difference between scripture and house rules. Now, this is important. You can have house rules that are not scripture, but you need to make sure that you that you are clear that this is a house rule that me and your mom said or me as a single parent said. But this is not necessarily something that you're going to find in scripture. But this is our rule. One of my mom's rules when I was in school was you do homework before you turn on the TV. Now, there's nowhere in Second Diane that you're going to find you have to do homework before you turn on the TV. But Diane paid the bills. And so we did what Diane said, or you stood the wrath of Diane. And you didn't want Diane on your case. Boy. And so you just need to be sure, because here's the, here's the thing you're going to find out. If you ever put something on God that he didn't really say, if your kid find out that you lied about that, it's going to discredit everything else that you said. So be real with them. If it's something that you and your, and your spouse have decided because that's what you want for your household, let them know. This is, this is what we've decided for our household. 
All right. Um, Number eight, avoid having too many rules and always changing the rules. Be consistent. So it's not enough to say what not to do when trying to build a plan. You have to also have some to do's when building the plan. God on the side. Paul uses the words, uh, two words to try to explain the dynamic of how parents are to fulfill his mission. He uses the words discipline and instruction. And I know that it can be confusing sometimes um, when, you, when you think about that. But I want you to keep in mind this graph right here. I want you to keep in mind this image right here. By using those two words, Paul is trying to convey that the ultimate role of a parent is, is not simply to get their kids to be obedient to the authority, but through the parents' godly training and reprimand that their children will come to know and obey the Lord himself. So as a child gets older, discipline should decrease and instruction should increase. The relationship should look different over time with your kids. It, it should be less discipline and more instruction. It should look like more of a mentorship and going on as your kid gets older. And so here's, here's, a, here's about seven ways how that can look, how that can take on. So the first one is to realize that if you punt on teaching your kids, they'll learn from somebody else. If you punt on teaching your kids, if it's a topic that you feel like, uh, I don't really feel comfortable in talking about that, so I'm just going to put it off, they're going to learn it from somebody else. You just, you just have to know that. Number two, lead in providing biblical instructions for your kids. Now, this is one I always hit on because I'm a former youth pastor. You have to remember this. A lot of people will, will I've, I've seen it, and we'll have people come and they say, I want you to get my kid right. And first of all, you have to understand that we don't have the power to change your kid's heart. That's a Holy Spirit thing. Second of all, Scripture gives primary responsibility for discipling your kids to you as a parent. Our role as a church is to come beside and aid you in that process. You and your discipleship process is the main diet. The church is the vitamin. And so I want to tell you that if you have a $100 vitamin, but a diet that's trash, your health is going to be trash. In the same way, if you're not personally taking on the responsibility of discipling your kids yourself, it's going to display no matter how much that ministry at at church does. If you're not living out this God-centered home, these God-centered principles at home, it will have an adverse effect on your kids and the, and the one or two hours a week that they spend at church cannot overcome that. So the primary responsibility is, is there. Number three, establish clear boundaries. Romans 13, 14 said, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires, right? And it's part of this thing of, it's, are we teaching our kids of, well, how close can I come to that without stepping over? Or are we teaching them of, I want to be as close to God on this issue that I can? How, how close can I get to this before I'm dishonest? How much can I shade the truth? And still be not telling a lie. Well, a half truth is a whole lie. Number four, set godly goals. 
What that means is make your goal in parenting to, is to have kids that first off love the Lord. If you, if you love me, you obey my commands. So if you want a kid that knows that they love the Lord, then they'll obey his commands. That's John 14, 15. Number two is worship the Lord. Uh, this is important because the question is never will a person worship. It is what will they worship? Everybody worships. The question is, what will we worship? So if Christ is placed on the throne of your kid's heart, then then it it will naturally flow. Number three, glorify God. Part of teaching them to glorify God means teaching them to accept, appreciate and proclaim the gospel at an age appropriate level. Right. I don't expect my two and three year old to know the meaning of the Trinity. I don't expect them to be able to describe the hyperstatic union, but that's not needed at their age. I love that my wife sings, Jesus loves all the little children as they get bathed. There's an age-appropriate level at which your kids can know God. And as a parent, you have a responsibility to work those in, the gospel in, at an age-appropriate way. Why is this important? When you get to, um, it is called in the Bible, they say probably the greatest generation was the Joshua generation. But the Joshua generation had one big fault. You know what it was? When you get to the book of Judges, which is right afterwards, right, it says this in Judges 2.10. It says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. You mean to tell me the greatest generation that when it took over this land and did all these great things. And one generation later, they didn't know about who the Lord was. They didn't know the one who empowered them. These people who was not a nation, these people who were slaves in another nation who walked through a river on dry ground twice who were fed from the sky, who had a, a, a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night that led them through the wilderness, who walked for 40 years and clothes never tore down and their shoes never broke down and they always had what they needed and they defeated um, established nations and right after they die, the next generation don't know about them. How sad is that? We stand at risk if we are not sharing with our kids on a consistent basis to, to appreciate and accept and proclaim the gospel at an age-appropriate level. And so we have to stay faithful to it. Number five, take advantage of every opportunity. What do I mean by that? Special circumstances and events and, 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 and times and daily situations, response to authority or, or being a servant versus being selfish, handling temptations, developing a work ethic and avoiding being lazy, controlling the tongue, controlling one's thoughts, learning to love others, uh, committed to a local church, using one's spiritual gifts and, and living and proclaiming the gospel. Have your kids seen you share the gospel with someone else? You want your kids to be involved with missions? You know how to get them interested in missions? You get involved with missions and include them in it. You want them to be sacrificial givers? Involve them in the process. You want them to share the gospel on a regular basis? Involve them in the process. Take advantage of every method, question and answer, formal teaching during family time, and then informal times. It is a learning as you go thing as we see in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8. Number seven, be an example to each child. 
Philippians 4, 9, Paul said this. He says, keep putting into practice all that you have learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. So, so here's the deal. Let's not ask our kids to be more godly than we are. Can you look at your kids when you go pick them up today and say, you want to know what it looks like to follow God? Follow after me. You want to know what it looks like to be obedient to the scripture? Look at my daily life. Follow my example. Why did Paul point them back to him? It's because you, we all need a visual image. We all need a visual image. Now, I'm not going to uh, deceive you. This all seems like a lot. But I also believe that the gift of children are worth the effort. May your efforts to build and execute a plan for discipling our children match the worth that God has for them. Today, I want to end a little bit differently. I want to ask that if there are any parents who have not stepped across the line of faith or been baptized, that you seriously consider making that happen today. Let's lead. The only thing that will matter in a hundred years is your child's relationship with Christ. Let today be the day you look back on and say, this is when I made my first step in discipling my kids. Now, maybe you don't understand those two terms, so I want to explain both of those. When we say step across the line of faith, we simply mean trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as our means of forgiveness in a relationship with the Father. It is by his sacrifice alone that the price has been paid. It is by his shed blood alone that, and, and that we believe with our, mouth, with our minds and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. It's when we've done that that we've stepped across the line of faith, from trusting in ourselves to trusting solely in him. If you haven't done that, then make today your day. Don't wait. In the same way that you would want the best for your child right now, you make that step. In baptism, it is through a believer's baptism that we go public with our faith. It is when we let others know that we have stepped over the line of faith. See, I hear a lot of people, it's this misnomer that, no, my faith is, is, is private. No, you have a personal faith, but your, your faith was never meant to be private. There's nothing biblical about a private faith. We have extra clothes and we have towels. And someone will meet you over there to get you a shirt and shirt that you can change into and, and be baptized today. Don't wait. Let our kids see us go public with their faith so that they know it's okay for them to do the same. Let's not hold our kids to a higher standard than what we hold ourselves to. If you are here today and you haven't made either of those decisions, then do it today. Let us help you make those first steps today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.
And we know that the task of parenting and discipling our kids can, can seem like a tall one. But we thank you that you haven't left us alone to our own uh, abilities and resources, that you've given us your word, you've given us the power of your spirit. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that has been trusting in themselves, trying to be good enough and, and, and leaning on themselves even to disciple their kids in their own strength, that, that they would turn it over to you. That today would be the day that they went from trusting in themselves and relying on their own strength to totally relying on the person and work of your darling son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift we have in him. We thank you for the relationship that results because of the sacrificial gift of your only son. We pray, Father, if there's anyone here that hadn't gone public with their faith through baptism, that today would be the day that they wouldn't hold up anymore, that they would say, it's important enough that my kid knows that my kid is a part of the seeds, that I'm doing it today. I'm making my step today. My first step in discipling my kid is today. I'm going public. I'm no longer resting in the shadows. I'm no longer hoping that they get it from somebody else. I'm leading today. So, Father, we thank you. We lift you up. We praise your holy name. Amen.